Yarra Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung as the traditional owners of the land this podcast was recorded on, pays tribute to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Yarra and elsewhere, and gives respect to Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to a Short Story Club episode of the Yarra Libraries podcast. In these podcasts, we're going to discuss the featured stories from our short story club. We'll speak about the club in a moment before discussing Haruki Murakami's With the Beatles, and then moving on to other stories that are currently helping us escape from daily life. I'm Megan Dew, and I'm here today with Nell O'Brien. The Short Story Club is a program we've been running in Branch for a little while now, and what we do is we read one short story before the meeting, everyone comes together, and we discuss the story as a group. And then what we do is also mention a few other things we've been reading. Given the current situation, we will be running the Short Story Club online. Um, Now, would you like to tell us anything else about the program? So the Short Story Club is a new program for us. Um, We started it in 2020. It was the brainchild of our manager, Marcia, who's an avid reader herself. And we've been playing around with ways to run book clubs in the library for people that are kind of really accessible people that might not necessarily have the time or inclination to read a whole book each month and that want the kind of flexibility to be able to read something that's quite short but still get the enjoyment of talking about that with other people. But it's also supposed to encourage people to read authors that they might discover through the book club as well. Every time we discuss a short story, we'll also mention some other things that you can go on with to read. So if you wanted to read interviews with that author around the short story, if you wanted to read other pieces of their work, we'll absolutely have some recommendations there. And uh, the other thing is in each club, people do also discuss what other things they're reading at the moment. And we do make a list of those and make them accessible to people who've attended a club. So that way you can, um, if someone's talked about a book in the club, you can then go back and you can maybe uh, find out where you can find that. It's basically an excuse to come together and just talk about reading for an hour. So that's definitely something that appealed to me about it is that we get to sort of dive into a different author each time and sort of explore a whole bunch of different styles. And, and I think one of the other really nice things is that you can really, it's it's quite challenging, I think, to discuss a whole novel or a whole nonfiction book in, in an hour with people. Like there's just so many elements. So you end up often discussing quite general things about it. Whereas I feel like with the short story club, what we're able to do is really dig into like to the style and also to the like world building where that's relevant and really look at what makes a, a really effective short story for different people and like how it resonates with different people as well. Cause I don't think anyone has ever had like the exact same take on a story as someone else. Right. So Megan, <laughs> do you find that you read many collections of short stories? Is this something that you're kind of drawn to usually in your reading? Um, It has been over the last few years, so it's not something that I necessarily read a lot growing up, Um, but I feel like it's actually quite on point now, Nell, as a lot of people are saying that they're having trouble concentrating on reading at the moment, and I feel like a short story is a really good way to dip into something and sort of test the waters if you're having trouble concentrating on books at the moment. That's interesting you said that. I actually haven't heard that, that people are finding it hard to concentrate. Is that because they're, they're stressed? Yeah, I think it is part of that. I think it's a lot of people are re- sort of refreshing the news constantly at the moment, which I totally understand. That's something yep. I've been doing myself. I think for some people that they might find they're actually busier now than they've ever been, particularly if they've they've got kids or caring responsibilities at mm-hmm. home of some mm-hmm. sort. And yeah, I think it's one of those things where sometimes when, when things feel very stressful, it can be hard to let go enough to lose yourself in a different story, perhaps. But if you're not having trouble reading at the moment, that's fantastic. So that's really good. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I think at the moment I want to escape into stories, you know, so if, if, even if it's not reading, which I am doing, 
I'm kind of trying to escape into BBC versions of, you know, Jane Austen and Pride and Prejudice and things like that. So it's funny how people cope with things differently. But for me, it's I kind of go back to those old stories that I find so comforting. We'll return to those books we're enjoying at the moment later on. But first, we're going to speak about With the Beatles by Haruki Murakami. So this story starts with the protagonist uh, describing this memory he has from his youth of him seeing this girl in the hallway at school for the first time and he thinks he never sees her again. And she's just like the epitome of, of beauty and youth for him. She smells nice, he thinks, although he admits he might not be remembering that correctly. Mm-hmm. And she's holding this LP of With the Beatles. Why do you think he's so taken with this image and it means so much to him? Um, well, it actually took me kind of going back to the story for a second time and have a little look over it to really get what was going on here. And what I think is happening is that she symbolises this moment in time for him, which is his youth, which is a very fleeting moment. And it's, you know, the adolescence is such a kind of special time for all of us. And I think because she's holding this this record, which is, you know, the, which is the Beatles, which is getting played on the radio all the time, which is going to be the soundtrack to, you know, that, that whole generation's youth, she symbolises this particular moment in time for him when he's at high school and there's still a lot of possibilities and and she's beautiful and unknown and yeah so that's and that's kind of what I made of it what about you what did you think I thought it was really interesting how he seems so connected with this image of this girl that I like that he's reasonably um, sort of self-mocking in the sense that he he admits that he might have actually seen her later on and not even recognized her because he'd created this like idealized version of her Mm. in his head Mm -hmm. I think that's it's actually quite nice because otherwise it could be quite yeah otherwise I think it would be a bit more icky but it's kind of nice to have him admit that this might not actually be an accurate reflection at all. But it also brings up some really interesting questions about memory because he doesn't seem to remember the details of his actual relationships at the time that well, which is really interesting. And and I guess also I think that that her holding that LP that's so emblematic of, of that time or like so contextually important, it really ties back to that statement he makes later on, that idea that, that we're happiest at the time when pop music is the most meaningful to us. Mm, yeah. And I was wondering, do, do you think that's actually true or is it just sort of true to the protagonist in this time? I thought it was a really interesting statement to make actually, really interesting. I don't think it could be true for everyone. I think – you know, as teenagers, that's when we really do seem to connect with pop music. You know, at high school, that's when you're hearing it all the time. And But for a lot of us, our teenage years aren't the happiest. Maybe what the statement could be referring to is not so much pop music in and then kind of inflexible use of the word, but music that's being heard on the radio, for example. So, the happiest time of your life might be when you are just so happy and so full of joy that when you're driving your car and listening to the radio, you connect with all of the songs that you listen to because you're so happy. But, uh, you know, a 55-year-old might be the happiest that they've ever been in their entire life and they might not be listening to any pop music because, you know, pop music really is for youth. So I, I think the statement may be more about we most connect to pop music when we're young and we, we look back in our youth probably with the most nostalgia does it ring true true for you as a person, do you think? Not so much in terms of happiness, but yes, there's this something very elusive and personal for me about the music that I was into as a teenager. And so I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan and have been since I was 13 years old. And there was a particular album that came out in 95, Vitalogy, um, which did cross from being Pearl Jam being an alternative kind of band um, or wanting to be to being very mainstream. So, so Better Man was getting 
played on the radio a lot in that year. And it was my first ever rock concert. I went and saw Pearl Jam at the My Music Bowl in 1995. And that album, yes, that brings – I listen to that album sometimes and I honestly – it is so meaningful to me and to my story and to my experience as a teenager that I honestly sometimes can't believe that like that is an external thing to myself. Like I listen to that music and I'm like, I can't believe someone externally created this and yet I've internalized it so much. But was I the happiest I ever was at 14, 15? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That that is, does seem like an odd sort of statement in that sense. Like it does seem that for the protagonist, this is like a quite intense moment for him that he comes back to that happiest. I mean, yeah, if I hear a placebo song now, I'm instantly back like mm. burning CDs of B-sides that I've downloaded from the internet and like uh, creating album covers for them with track listings on the back in paint to print yes, out you know, word templates and stuff. Yes. So yeah, like definitely feels very vivid because I think everything everything feels sort of very fresh when you experience it for the first time. So definitely mm. I think it imprints itself in your memory, but happiest, I mean, not really. Yeah, I feel like maybe we just don't go go as deep later on where we don't have time to listen to the same song 10 million times. Yeah, but maybe the statement, if you take out pop music and just say music, you know, I mean, maybe there is more truth to that statement when you say the happiest times of your lives are when you are connecting with music in a really meaningful way. But that could be, you know, replace pop music and replace music with any art form, you know. Mm-hmm. Like when we're, yeah, totally. We're most happy when we are really connecting with the things that are around us and that we're um, drawn to. But it's not the only music that comes up in this. The protagonist admits sort of at the time that he's not really into pop music. He remembers it because it was around and stuff and he gets kind of into the Beatles a bit later on. But the other music mentioned is his girlfriend at the time and his girlfriend is is in the story quite a bit, but not someone who's interacted with, like someone who's kind of thought about or discussed. And he mentions her music taste, but also that he it's not really the sort of stuff he was into. He was more into jazz. But she was kind of into stuff that would be termed easy listening music now, not with any sort of dismissiveness or anything, just like, oh, it wasn't for me. I really felt like that connected with his statement about not really understanding his girlfriend. I mean, he didn't put it that way. He was like when his girlfriend's brother sort of presses him to say what's interesting about dating Sayoko, he says, oh, it's interesting because I really never know what she's thinking. Mm. Yeah, do you think that sort of like not getting her music or it not being really for him is connected to that, him not really think that she, thinking that she's for him? Absolutely. I, rec- I remember when my husband and I first got together and we both loved Star Wars. And we both liked similar music, you know, and I think having those joint interests is incredibly important and maybe that whole middle of the road or what did he call it? Middle class music? Yeah, and yeah easy, he does. You know, easy listening. Maybe he doesn't get really why she loves it because it's a bit ho-hum and therefore he doesn't get her. But the, I think at, at the end of the story, it becomes really clear that, that neither of them, him nor the brother, have taken the time to get to know her because they just weren't that interested, which is so sad, really. Yeah, we definitely, we won't mention how the the story ends, but definitely it becomes clear that neither of the people in her life were super keen to understand her as more than a bit player in their own lives, which is quite sad. Mm. Because I think it sort of shows how, in, in, in the story at least, memory and detail is attached to 
the things that we find meaningful at the time. And maybe mm. the reason we don't get that many details about the girlfriend other than uh, rattling off of a little bit of her music taste is because he isn't really that emotionally connected to her. Mm. Like he's quite open about the fact that he stays with her. It was, she was nice enough. And then eventually someone gave him that, you know, a little bit of frisson of excitement and he went after that person. Mm. The, the bell rings between his ears, which I, I mm. kind of love that. It's so true though. Do you know, I was actually talking to my husband about this the other night. I mentioned something about, oh, look, I'm wearing my dorky pants again. And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. He had no recollection that I had these pants that I bought online when I was having a baby that looks like I was going about to roll up to the bowling club or whatever, um, <laughs> you know, because they were terrible. Um, and I brought it up with him last night trying to, or the other night trying to get some laughs. You know, this is a shared joke mm. between us. He had no idea what I was talking about. None. Zero. None. <laughs> Did not remember that. Couldn't, couldn't care less. And it's like I will remember things about fashion and that people have been have worn or yeah. I will, will remember things that people have said about their lives and, and and because that's where I place meaning and that's things that I that I like, whereas he will remember a sports score or what, you know, who won the grand final last year. I couldn't tell you that right now. Megan, could you t- say tell me who won the grand final last year? I could not tell you who won the grand final last year. So I know that would appall – I know we've got a few colleagues, um, sorry, Connor, who that would absolutely appall – but no, it, it like doesn't mean anything for me at, at all. But yeah. but yeah, I definitely have people who growing up each year who won the football was like a huge would be the context that they would give the same way as Murakami yes. gives yes. gives the pop music that was on the radio at the time as the context. So yeah, yeah. whereas we yeah. Thought we do we 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 remember the things that we care about and that are meaningful to us. That idea in relation to like memory in the story is particularly interesting because. The one element that seems kind of, it would be out of place if it wasn't that I feel like Murakami's tone sort of describing the detail of everyday life, at least for me, it makes me willing to accept the quite unusual things that come up because there might be like a supernatural element or like something that comes out of left field. And I feel like I can just kind of accept that and take it in the same frame as I'm taking what he made for dinner or what jazz record he's playing because he presents it in the same way. Mm. Um but the element that's like that in this story is that his girlfriend at the time, Sayoko, um, her brother, who he meets in the story, has this uh, genetic disorder, he says, where he loses great portions of his life or he loses great portions of his memory. Mm. And that leads to a really interesting discussion where he talks about how he's afraid of those moments because he worries that because he can't remember them. He worries what he might do in those times. And he's been told that no, it's not like that. Like you're still there in those moments. It's not that you go away. It's just you can't recall it later on. But he's quite stuck on this idea that he might do something dreadful that's like a greater extension of how he feels normally, hurt his father because he doesn't like him or something like that. Because I guess it's that whole thing where if, if we don't remember something, were we really there? Like did it really happen? So it brings up really interesting questions of blame and responsibility and, and how that's linked to memory. Mm. Um yeah, interesting. I thought it was very interesting. I think that we actually talked about this before, not during the podcast, but about how I, in a, at one part of the book, I thought something really sinister had happened, right? So when they first he first meets the brother and the brother t- tells him about this memory loss and then the, none of the family are there, you know, in my mind, and not that this is a this is a regular thing for Murakami, who I love and read a lot of, but I'm like, oh my god, they're all dead upstairs. He's he's killed them all, you know. <laughs> and and then you know, a couple of pages later, he talks about how when he he's worried that he hates his father and he would might bash his head in with a hammer. And then I got doubly scared, you know. And then there was nothing eventuated with that. And to, so to me, I thought, I don't know whether that was deliberate by Murakami or not, but that 
with memory, it can go either way, right? So if you don't remember something very well, but you think it was horrible, you can kind of make yourself feel worse about what happened. Or if something horrible happens and you don't want to feel responsible for it, then you can tell yourself that it wasn't as bad as what you thought. Mm, so, so lack of memory is like a way of emotionally shirking responsibility. So, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that ties, that's really interesting. Also, just in terms of how, like, how the protagonist doesn't remember all these details, doesn't really focus on details about his girlfriend at the time. Like, she wasn't something that he seemed to remember a huge amount about. At least, not compared to the way he talks about the brother or talks about the girl that he sees in the hallway. Like, she just doesn't seem to figure as much um he remembers like details of her body and things like that but not really like about her emotional life or who she was as a person and that's really interesting because not to spoil but like later on they sort of both admit that they didn't really know that much about her and that does feel the fact that he just kind of oh met someone else and then just went off with them and remember that as just fine you know not a Mm. big deal and the brother says that actually he was one of her favorite boys she'd known at that time like Mm. one of the favorites of the people she dated then so maybe his not remembering all those things about her is because he didn't really care that much about her at the time or maybe it's the other way around maybe it's as a way of absolving himself from responsibility for not caring at that time yeah absolutely and I I thought it was interesting that he was allowed you know he talks about the fact that she never rang that special bell inside my ears I listened as hard as I could but never once did it ring and then the brother in his memories of her said you know I didn't pay enough attention. She seemed shallow and I never understood a thing about her. But then Murakami almost kind of excuses this in there's a you know a segment where he talks about basically kind of falling in love, you know, like this bell ringing inside your head that it's not something you can choose freely according mm. and so then he says this isn't something you can choose freely according to logic or morality. Either it happens or it doesn't. I mean, you can imagine this so that if you were if you met someone at work and you thought they were nice and had a few chats to them but, you know, you didn't click as friends, then if something bad happened to them later, you might be like, oh, I should have paid more attention to them. But at the same time, if you, if, if you don't feel it, if you're not feeling it, you're not feeling it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but what I thought was interesting was as a family member, do we have more responsibility to try and understand our siblings and our and our family Mm. I think any time that we're I, – I think if there are ties like that, then obviously we're going to feel more of a sense of emotional responsibility mm. and, and maybe that is a good thing. Like obviously the tie – or you would hope between brother and, and sister would be a little closer than the tie between two yeah. people who dated briefly as Absolutely. teenagers. And yeah, I, yeah I, I, the question of whether he is or isn't responsible for emotionally connecting with her at a time at that time feels kind of here nor there, but the brother – I understand why the brother feels more responsible yeah. because to a certain yeah. extent he was yeah. not responsible for what happened, but but I can understand him feeling guilt about not mm. being more emotionally involved in her life and writing yeah. her off. In that Even way, there was perhaps. that blood tie, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely not to say that either of them were responsible for what happened, but perhaps I, I can understand their feeling guilt perhaps over like how much effort they put into understanding her. Mm. And do you know what is also kind of sweet, I thought, is that we never learned the, the brother's name nor the protagonist's name. And yet the name Soyoko is is mentioned over and over and over, really. And so mm. it's like you might not, put, not have paid attention to her, these fictional characters, but this story is going to be more about her. We're gonna you're gonna remember her name after this story ends, not you not yours kind of thing. I thought it was kind of sweet kind of nod to 
you know, people that might suffer and yeah, people that, that we might dismiss and, and, and not, I don't know. That just because you're not important in someone's story doesn't mean you're not important in your story. Yeah, that he's placing, the, Murakami's placing importance on her and what she went through by saying her name, whereas the other two are nameless, which I thought was quite mm-hmm. interesting. If you do want to have these discussions with us so that you don't have to rely entirely on Nell and my interpretation, you do have the opportunity to do so. We've already done the first book club meetings on Haruki Murakami's With the Beatles, but if you'd like to book into any of the future sessions, you can do so on the Yarrow Library's website. Now, the short story we're discussing next is going to be Carmen Maria Mercado's Eight Bites. So when you register for that, you'll have a link of where to find the story. Um, We're really looking forward to discussing it with you. But if you uh, can't make it to a meeting, of course, you are most welcome to to listen along. We'll be discussing the short stories uh, on a regular basis here on the Arrow Libraries podcast. And hopefully that'll give you a little bit of a taste of book club from home. Now, just a reminder, those meetings are through Zoom. So if you do have internet access, you can probably join us for those. And if you have any any trouble with tech elements involved, please don't hesitate to get in touch. We're so happy to help with that. One of the things that we discuss in the short story club, we don't just discuss the short story, that is the majority of the club, but we also just mention what we're reading more widely as well. So, Nell, I just wanted to check in with you. Uh, You mentioned that you haven't been having too much trouble with reading at the moment, but you're going back to those classics that are giving you a very different worldview to jump into. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you've been reading or watching that you've enjoyed that you'd recommend people dip into at this time? Well, I did finish for the probably 10th or 11th or 12th time the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice which was heavenly, absolutely heavenly. So I watched that on Netflix and in terms of reading, I actually went straight from that, which is all about aristocratic kind of England, to Brideshead Revisited by Evelyn Waugh. I've never read any of Evelyn's books before and I thought that that was beautiful. Again, it was just complete escapism and fantasy for me, you know, living in the 21st century during the COVID-19 crisis to read about these very wealthy, very proper, very witty English people and the things that go on in their lives. So that was beautiful. I, I loved Brideshead Revisited. And I'm now just in the middle of Devouring Burial Rites by Hannah Kent, which is so good, such a page turner. It's like a two-day book, something that you'll just eat up so quickly. I don't know the ending yet, so um, no spoilers, please. Megan, I'm sure you've read it. So I solemnly swear to keep the ending to myself. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's my reading at the moment. What about you? I, I guess like you, I've kind of been drawn to some historical stuff at the moment. I just finished Lincoln in the Bardo by George Saunders and mm-hmm. that one was actually for a book club anyway. Now, obviously, George Saunders won the 2017 Man Booker Prize for Lincoln in the Bardo, it was been mm-hmm. on, but it's been on my to-read list since 2017. So I'm sure I would have gotten to it eventually, but definitely the book club pushed it up the list a bit quicker and I'm really mm-hmm. glad that it did. So and kind of prompted me to finish it even even though I am finding it a bit more difficult to concentrate on reading at the moment. But so Lincoln and the Bardo is about the death of Abraham Lincoln's son, Willie. Um, and this was during the American Civil War, but it's not so much about his death, but about the ghosts or the people who were stuck in this between the world's uh, place called the Bardo. And they're kind of talking through different parts of their life that led to where they are now. There's different point of views from like historical records, some of them made up, some of them real. And yeah, it's just a gorgeous collection that's very much about grief and how people deal with grief, Mm. um, how people come to terms with unfortunate turns in their own life. And that sounds really dark, but it's actually really funny as well. Mm. And just an FYI, like I I do have a physical copy here that I might go back and read, but I actually listened to it as an audio book on BorrowBox. And they actually used a different cast member, like a different voice for each of the different point of views. And because there were so many, that means there's this cast of like 30 people 
including David Sedaris and Susan Sarandon and oh, um, wow. and like Julianne Moore and um, I think Elizabeth Moss. I don't know. It was a ridiculous list. You look at it and you're like, whoa. So that's actually really cool. The one thing to keep in mind, I guess, is that it's easier to keep track of who people are when you can see their names. But mm-hmm. without that, with the audiobook, having the different voices, I think, really helped. Really interesting. And I guess yeah, in wow. terms of um, more escapist stuff at the moment, I'm about to start the uh, the Lost Love Song by Minnie Dark. And Minnie Dark came in to speak to us recently and she writes rom-coms, essentially. And while her current book isn't available on Cloud Library, if you do go there, you'll find Starcrossed, one of her earlier titles. And it, I think it'd just be like a really nice one for people to get into at the moment. It's a, a lady who works at a, at a newspaper and she's just getting the chance to do a bit more work there. And she gets to sort of edit the astrology section, doesn't believe in astrology at all, thinks it's complete tripe. But she runs into this boy that she knew when she was younger who she's still a little bit in love with even though he's like on the verge of being engaged to his girlfriend now. And she really wants him to realize that she's the love of his life, leave his girlfriend, um, and he really believes in astrology and always reads the astrology section of her newspaper. So she starts messing with the astrology section to try and give him a hint that what he should be doing is looking around and seeing if this girlfriend he's with at the moment is really the right person for him so that he'll realize that actually she's the one that he should be with. And it has all these really unintended consequences because, of course, he's not the only one reading the astrology section and making life decisions off it. There's all these other people mm-hmm. doing that as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, that sounds super cute. It's oh, actually adorable. There's yeah. nothing better than a good rom-com, is there? Yeah, it's, it's definitely definitely something comforting, I think, at the moment. So if you want something to curl up with, that could be a really good one. So. Oh, I love it. Look, there is always a time and a place for rom-coms in my heart. I love them so much, but especially – when you're a bit stressed and life is a bit tricky, that's when they are just so comforting and easy to dive into and just lovely. Well, that's, I guess, a few recommendations from us today, some things we've been reading recently and just a general thing of rom-coms could be great. The other recommendation, of course, is short stories. So if you look in the notes for this episode, you'll find a few instructions as how you can access that Murakami short story. You've been listening to Yarra Libraries podcast. You can find all that information about our events on the Yarra Libraries website and also follow our social media channels for more information about the digital program that we're bringing you during this time of self-isolation. So thanks again for listening. 